good morning to you. I would like for you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23. And if you're wondering who I am, my name is David Kirby, and I have been a friend of Ed Etheridge's for almost 40 years. I don't remember when it was. Now it's hard. I don't even remember the year anymore. He says 85. I don't remember anymore. But uh, I lost my job, my home, and my vehicle all at the same time and back in those days. And I wasn't looking for the Lord. I wasn't searching for the Lord. I was minding my own business, sinning as I wanted to, doing as I wanted to, and then I lost everything in a moment in time. And in that moment, I had remembered that my father had gotten saved as a Christian, became a Christian a year before he died, and I was nine when he died, something of that nature. And I began to remember some of the things he said about the Bible and those things. And I believed the Bible. As a matter of fact, even as a lost man, I'd fight you over the Bible. But I didn't believe the things that it said in it, not, not necessarily consciously, I just subconsciously, I did not know Jesus Christ, and more importantly, he did not know me at the time. And then I was sitting around in a cousin's house the next day, and I said to myself, this cannot be the end of my life. And so I made a deal with the Lord. Now, I didn't know the Lord, right? I'm a lost man doing lost things. And I said, if you will get me a job, Lord, I'll go to church. I made a deal with him. I didn't know him from a shoebox, but I made a deal with him. Well, three days later, an agriculture teacher of mine that I was very close to in the country and in, in, at Texarkana area gave me $3,000 to buy a pickup truck. Three more days later, something of that nature, I got a call from a friend of mine in the telephone business. That's a business I am. I'm an, in, I'm an engineer at Verizon. Back in those days, I was just a technician. And he said, if you go to Dallas, you'll, you'll get an opportunity to interview for this job. I went up there, drove to the worst storm you ever saw. And uh, I got the interview, and for some crazy reason, they hired me. And they gave me $800 to move, and everything I had was in my pickup truck downstairs. So I made out on that deal. But after a while, I said I'd go to church. Remember, you, you tried to, at least my generation in my area, you tried to do what you said you was going to do. I mean, if a man's word is worth nothing, then the country is worth nothing, you see. So I tried to do what I said do. I started looking for a church. I had no idea what religion my father was. I came to find out later it was something else other than what I thought. But I knew that in the military you had to tell them what religion you were. And I had asked the guy in front of me, what religion are you? And he told me, I didn't remember what he told me, but I went and looked on my dog tags, and it said Baptist. So I got up one morning, put on my leisure suit, as we as only clothes I had back in those days, and I drove around an area in Mesquite, Texas area, and to my surprise, there was a Baptist church on every corner. <laughs> I didn't know what church to go to. That one was too big. That one, the people might not like me or they dress too nice or I made all kinds of excuses as I made the blocks around my area. I had bought a townhouse after I'd gotten a job. I didn't tell you that part. I did get the job and I bought a townhouse and I was living in that area and then that's when I remembered I said I'd go to church and so I was driving around I said well I, I can't find a church I like. 
So I'm going to go home and look at some other day. I got about halfway between the two parallel streets on Masters Drive, and on the right was an elementary school. On the left was a little building. It didn't totally look like a church, because, you know, Baptists sometimes make funny buildings for, out of churches, you know, or churches out of funny buildings. And this one said Victory Baptist Church on the front of it. And I pulled into that parking lot, not wanting to and wanting to at the same time terrified but doing it anyway and I sat down in the pew that morning and the music started playing I wouldn't have talked to you in those days if you had talked to me I was so introverted I sat down the music played the people sang everybody dressed funny that means they dressed nice you see I wasn't used to that I'm from the farm right and they sang but I didn't sing with them and then a big man got up that morning and was preaching a series on the cross of Christ. That morning, it was thief on the cross. And I got saved that morning because I saw myself as the thief. I didn't tell nobody I got saved. I didn't say a word all morning long. But as I kind of stumbled out the door, I, I gave Ed the, the card. Ed was the pastor of that church that day. And I learned over the next several days, he came by Monday and... Now for 30-something, almost 40 years, we've been friends. He's been my mentor, and so you can blame him for everything this morning, all right? <laughs> but my salvation experience is real to me today as it was in those days. And don't think that I've lived this easy Christian life. I've lost an oldest son. I know about sorrow. I know about the overwhelming difficulties of life, just like King David did. You see, when David wrote this song, he had many victories and struggles along his way, right? He was the shepherd boy in the wilderness that slayed the lions with the rocks. And so when he came to Goliath, he was ready. See, God prepares a man for the work he does but David wanted to write into the Holy Spirit wanted us to know what David thought about his relationship with the Lord. What was the environment? What was the look of it? And this morning I'm doing something a little bit different. I'm going to look at it from the context of the Hebrew Scriptures. I'm not going to give you a bunch of irrelevant grammar, but I'm going to let you see some of the word pictures that makes a difference to the Word of God. The world want you to believe your Bible is a Ouija board. But your Bible came from the throne room of heaven to you, the saints of glory that you are and will be all, all eternity so that you would know that salvation is from Jesus Christ and he is the only God of the world and it doesn't even matter if the United States even exists. Jesus Christ is still Lord of all. This psalm is from a man who whole heart, isn't that what the Lord said when he looked back on David? He is a man after my own heart. I mean, that's what they're looking for. That's what the Lord's looking for. We know that from 2 Chronicles 16, 9, right? The Lord is roaming to and forth through the whole earth looking for a people whose heart is strong toward him. It's not the time to be afraid in this country. It is the time to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, the only way to salvation. See, the Baptists have been lying to us for a while. They've been telling us God has a wonderful plan for our lives. If you're a lost person, God does not have a wonderful plan for your life. 
Why is it good news? It's because of the horrible news that's coming, right? If you don't accept Christ, it's either the glories of heaven or the horrors of hell. That's what the future lies for all mankind. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. He says, this is a psalm of David. It's a mitzmore. You can see all through the scriptures this uh, good shepherd, the shepherding of the Lord Jesus Christ to his people. As a matter of fact, from antiquity, your right to be a ruler, to rule any people, was the fact that you could care for those people. See, a pastor that cares for his people preaches the word of God, a psalm of David, a mitzmore. Remember what? We said in the passage uh, that the brother read this morning, but it was in a different verse, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. Psalm 34, 9, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions want, and they hunger. But those that seek the Lord will want of no good thing. This applies to every saint. Now, this doesn't apply to everybody in your family, right? Every individual in your family must make the decision about Jesus Christ himself. The Bible teaches us that a man lives or dies, a woman lives or dies, goes to heaven or hell because of their decision about Jesus Christ, not your decision about Jesus Christ. I might not see all of my children in heaven, but it won't be because they don't know the truth. But for me, I lack nothing that's good, good for me. The Lord just showers me. With his blessings, he showers the saints with his blessings. Isaiah 40, 11, like the sheep shepherd, he will tend his flock in his arm. He gathers the lamb, he carries them in his bosom. Philippians 4, 19 says it this way, And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the source of those blessings. Christ Jesus, the Lord God, of the heaven and earth tells us in the scripture. You see, the scriptures is what we rely on. My opinion or good stories or anything like that doesn't make any difference. It is the word of God. Mitzmore, a psalm of David. That's what it says. A psalm in, in Hebrew is mitzmore. It's a song to sing. It's a joy to sing. See, all through the scriptures, we have this solid truth that lets us know the validity of our faith. 1 John 5, 13 says, I have written these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, why am I focusing on grammar a little bit today? Because that word know is a perfect verb. And that perfect verb means it happened in the past, but it stands present in the future. Because my faith is in Jesus Christ, I know that I have eternal life. Salvation, eternal life, is not ambiguous. It's not in doubt. It's not what the intellectual things. You see, it's simply in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, he puts these very special verbs and nouns in the scriptures so that we can dig into them. You see, the Lord is not going to come up and put his arm around you. He's going to meet you in the quiet place the uh, Puritans used to say that your Savior is bashful. He will not come out into the crowds, but he will meet you in the quiet place with his word as you dig down e into it. The song, the mitzmore that comes from the scriptures, 
It is a psalm that is birthed in the saint's heart that knows his salvation and knows his Lord. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. The sheep of Jesus Christ, they know when Jesus Christ is speaking to them through the word of God. You will not hear a voice. You will not get a mystical feeling. You will not see him in a tortilla. You'll see him in the quiet place of the word of God as you dig in. The Southern Baptists need to fall in love with the word of God again. If they do, they'll fall in love with Jesus Christ again, and they'll know what the saints know in the secret place, the scripture tells us in Psalm 89. It is a special word. Paul uses a special word in 2 Timothy 3.16. Theonoustos. God breathed, you see. The word of God is, it says in English inspired, but that's not what it says in Greek. It says it's what? Expired. It comes from the soul of God. It breathed out into the word of God so that you know. That's what the word means. Theo, God, noustos, spirit. Theo, noustos. The word of God, you see, that is where life comes. That's where breath to the sermon comes. The, sir, the, the pastor can study and and put his mind in there, but the Spirit gives life because of the Word of God. If the Spirit, if the pastor decides to tell you Norman Vincent Peale's good things or whatever it is you could think of, that you, that's not going to help nobody, right? What helps people is the Word of God, to know that Jesus Christ's Word is what's valid. Let's look at a few things in this passage. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I want to tell you something very interesting here. Shepherd is not a noun, it's a participle. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the one shepherding me, David said. He's the one that's ongoing with me in my, my life. The name you hear, the Lord in English, is Yahweh. In Hebrew, the Lord, Yahweh, is my personal shepherd. It's emphasized that he's my, there's a little Something called a prominal suffix there in Hebrew. You don't have to know that. But it emphasizes the fact that David is saying he's my Lord. He's my shepherd. As I go through my life, he's the one that is shepherding me. He's making the difference to me, you see. He's the one that, that has my song in his heart. The reason I have a song in his heart. Mitzmore, David said, I can sing because of your statues. They are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Beloved, when you get to the dark day and you don't have scripture in your mind and in your heart, you don't have anything to cling to. But if you're the believer who relies on the word of God, your statutes, they're my songs. I'm rejoicing because of the word of God. There's a song in my heart. Though I lost my son and I can't understand the Lord in that. I have the joy in my heart because the salvation that he's giving to me, his spirit that he's given me as a down payment, sealed me, Ephesians 1.13, that nothing can tear me away from the life of Jesus Christ. You see, it's ringing in my ears. It's like, um, I'll give you another perfect verb. It's in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. We have seen, we have heard, we have touched, we have seen, we have heard, we have handled the word of truth. Kenneth, we said, it's ringing in my ears. You say, Jesus Christ is ringing in my ears. You say, why are you so excited, Brother David? Because the thing that happened to me in Brother Ed's church he was pastoring back then is still ringing in my ears. No one can make me shut up about Jesus Christ. 
No one can make me shut up about the word of God. He's my shepherd. He's the one that is shepherding me as I go along. David was very serious about his worship. As a matter of fact, in 2 Samuel 6, 14, it said, David said, I danced before the Lord with all my heart. Whirled about. That's what he meant. Oh, Brother David, you've lost control of yourself. That's what his wife thought, he said. If you remember in 2 Samuel chapter 6, it, David had finally been made king of all of Israel. The whole nation was rejoicing as they were headed toward Israel with the ark. But they made kind of a mistake, if you remember. They got a good idea like the Baptists always do, right? Let's put the ark on a cart. And let's put that ark on the cart and let's let it roll into Jerusalem. Well, first of all, that was a violation of Scripture because you couldn't put the, only the Levites of a certain family could carry the ark. Well, they got along there. The ark almost fell off. And Uzzah reached up there and tried to stop it. And the Lord struck him dead right there on the spot. And David got angry and wouldn't move the ark. But you see, the reason that the Lord struck Uzzah dead, Uzzah and David and the nation learned something, that you must treat the Lord God holy, right? You can't have sin in your life of, all, of everything the world has in your life. You can't go around being a homosexual or an adulterer or whatever it is. It has nothing to do with the past. We're talking about the present. And expect to know the Lord God. He is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Almighty. That's what's wrong with the nation today, right? They are full of sin and all kinds of debauchery and everything that goes on. And I'm not going to tell you anything different. I was a sinner when I was young. Before I came to the Lord, I wasn't worried about the Lord or sin, right? But there's nothing right better than living righteously before the Lord. He's the one shepherding me, see? And as David then said, well, I'm not going to move the ark any further. I'm going to put it over in Obed-Edom's house. And he took it over and set it in Obed-Edom's house, who was a Gittite. I don't know what that is. He just lived in that area, and they called him a Gittite, right? And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom's house. He just blessed him like crazy. David said, okay, I see that. After a certain amount of time, he said, now we're going to obey the law. And so they got the ark, they got the priest together, and they took three steps or six steps, and they stopped and they slaughtered and made an offering to the God of heaven, right? Why? Because that's what the law prescribed, you see. The Lord takes his word seriously. He's holy, holy, holy. And when he did that, they moved the ark. They only had to do it one time, six paces, right? Then they would go move it into Jerusalem, and they danced, and David was dancing, and he was, he was wild dancing, you see. We'd say we would gone charismatic if we do that today. I'm not saying we should do that. His wife looked out there, one of Saul, Saul's children, right? Looked out there and said, well, look at that fool. And when they got together, she said, you, you sure, had, sure didn't make a you-know-what of yourself. And he said, it's the Lord God. You see, I worship the Lord God, him only. See, this is the song that comes into our heart as we obey the word of God. And over and over and over again in the scriptures, it teaches us this thing, right? To sing, to rejoice. He whirled about. We sense his presence when he prays him. This church needs to find her song again. All I hear is a bunch of racket most of the time, right? When I go to churches everywhere, I don't hear the redeemed of the voice. I just hear racket of the new world, new age singing, or whatever it is. That's, you blame me. That's my opinion, right? 
But the church has a song that comes from fellowship with the Lord. See, we sense his care, his presence when we praise him. We sense his care in his companionship. He's my shepherd. It's the covenant name, Yahweh. You know what the purpose of the minor prophets are? You record, you see the minor prophets, and, and they don't always make a lot of sense, and you're scared to read them because you're thinking the judgment that they're crying about is going to wind up on your head. I used to would never read Job. Because every time I read Job, it scared me to death, right? And uh, unfortunately, I lived through some of Job's experience, uh, not the boils anyway. But the word of God, the minor, minor prophets, was to remind Israel of the covenant. You see, in Micah 6, you'll see this in, repeated in the minor prophets, and I won't spend a lot of time in the minor prophets, but the prophets would often use, the Holy Spirit would use this this idea of the lawsuit. And in Micah 6, he came out and said, Okay, O mountains, O rivers, O valleys, O rivers. Why is he calling on all them? Because they were there, right? They were there when Israel was new and obeyed the Lord, you see. What have I done? This is what he would ask the nation here in this country, and that's what he asked Israel. What have I done that you cannot have confidence in me. You remember what it says in Jeremiah chapter 2? My people have committed two sins, right? The first sin they committed was the abandoning the fountain of living water, the living water of Jesus Christ, the Father that brings the joy of the Holy Spirit, the sustenance that we need for the soul, the power that we need to get over loss and difficulty. And when the trials are overwhelming and we don't know where to turn, we can turn to the Holy Scriptures and see that they are reliable. He is the one that has shepherded me. What was the second sin? The second sin was not only did they abandon the fountain of living water, that's Jeremiah 2, I want to say 13 to 31, one of the two. But what? They made some broken cisterns that don't hold water, you see. Instead of turning to the Savior for the sustenance of the soul and for that quiet time that allows us to meet him in the word of God and to know that he's my shepherd, we've turned to medicine. We've turned to doctors. We've turned to science. We've turned to the lost man as if he knows anything. He does not. Like I said, you can blame me for everything. Blame Ed for everything. Get mad at me and blame Ed, right? The Lord is my shepherd. He's the one that shepherds me. He cares for me. He, he, our job is to feed the sheep, is it not? If you love me, what? Feed the sheep. Isn't that what he told Peter? Isn't that what he said in Ezekiel 34? You shepherds are lousy, stinking nobodies. That's not the way he said it. But what? You don't feed the sheep. The sheep need the word of God. They need to sense that Jesus Christ is in the room when the word of God is explained from the pulpit so they will know the joy and the confidence of our Savior. You see, Ezekiel 34, John 10, we read that this morning, right? I am the good shepherd. I lay my life for the sheep. Anybody comes in by Joel Olstein's door or Norman Vincent Peale's door or any other person claiming to be a voice of God, they are heretics and liars because Jesus Christ, the righteous, is the word of God. If he says that there is any way, like he did on Larry King that time, that there's some other way to salvation, 
That's a lie because salvation comes by no other name other than the name of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. He said, now, I need to move on. I'm in verse 1. I better hurry up, right? I better move, move some time. It says, I shall not want. We sense the Lord not only as he cares for us and as we sing for him and we dive into it, we sense him in his provision. It says, I shall not want. I want you to know something about the Hebrew. I promised you some Hebrew, didn't I? This is the strongest negative in the Hebrew language. Out of the 3,300 times that want is used in the Bible, and want means to be too late. That's what it means without the, without the negative in front of it in the Hebrew text. If you find that word in the Hebrew text or in English want, it means to be too late. And David says here, I shall not want. It means there's no way I could want. I absolutely do not want. It's impossible for me to want as God's child because he's the one that's superintending my life, shepherding me. And I look into his word and I see him. Am I exaggerating about the word? Let's go over to John 14 just for a minute. I love John 14. I love, I love the gospel of John. love John 10. But look at John 14. And let's look at verse 16. I'm headed to 21, right? But let's look at 16. It says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Look at this, verse 17. This is the spirit of truth, right? The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you. You're sealed permanently with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that, as I already quoted in Ephesians 1.13, and it says it in about five or six places, not just Ephesians 1.13. But it is because of the truth, the spirit is with you forever. And who wrote the truth? The Spirit wrote the truth, right? It says that. Theonoustos, I already told you about that in 2 Timothy 3.16. I will not leave you as orphans, verse 18. But after a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Remember John 10? The sheep hear my voice. In verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And how do we know that? Verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him, you see. The Bible is extremely clear, you see. The way to have fellowship with Jesus Christ is through his word. And if you are the faithful, obedient Christian, A.T. Robertson said this, that the, the unseen and risen Christ will be a real and spiritual presence in your life. You see, you're not going to find the peace of God in some other place. Oprah Winfrey or Sally, whatever, or whoever they are. They have no answers for the soul. You see, the President of the United States has no answers for the soul. You see, no matter who the President is, the answers from the soul come from the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Want, as I said, means to be too late, but God is never too late. Remember what he told the disciples in Luke 22? I sent you out without purse or bag. Did you lack anything? Micah 6, I mentioned that already. What did you lack that you abandoned the covenant? Oh, church of God, what has Christ 
laughed? What have you lacked in Jesus Christ that we abandon him? Right? We need to be tenacious for his soul. You see, every once in a while God raises up somebody like me that does not care what the next person thinks. I love you. That's why I'm doing my job today, telling you, I shall not want, I cannot, I will never habitually want because Jesus Christ is my Savior. So David said, it's true. He says in verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. These are the first pastures of the spring. You ever seen it? I, one time when I was a young man, I, was a, I told you I was a farm boy. I walked, uh, the, the farmer, agriculture teacher I told you about earlier, dropped me off at one of his ranches that he had. He had about a 40-acre ranch out in East Texas near Decaf. I'd go out there and fix fences and, and feed cows and fish for bass out there in that little pond, ponds of his. But one day, I, I, it's up by the front, but I never went over there. There was a fence over there. I went over there, and it was just green pasture. And it was a perfect, I mean, the grass was all perfect. Obviously, I found out later on it was a hay pasture, but it was a meadow. You have to put a hay pasture in a good meadow if you want good hay, right? And so he did, I look at that, and that's what this means. The first grass after the spring rains, you see. He makes me lie down, makes me is too, is too weak in the Hebrew text. It causes me to lie down. He causes me to lie down in these green pastures in the best places. It's where the sheep lay down, you see. It's where the sheep rest uh, and the shepherd has led them in there and they're watered and they're cared for and they're, they're just sitting there purring because the shepherd is looking over them. They're, that's David in his life. And David has sorrows in his life at times. He lost one of his sons, Absalom, and uh, had many troubles in his life. But David loved the Lord. Remember when the baby died in his adulterous relationship? And what did David do? He fell on his face. He wouldn't eat. He wouldn't do anything until the baby died. They said, what's wrong with you? He said, you never know what the Lord might do. <laughs> you never know. The Lord is full of loving kindness. That's what the Bible teaches us over and over. Psalm 25:10. all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth. He cares nothing about the sin of your past. He cares that your life is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he wants you to rest in him. He don't want you to look to the banks or anybody else. He wants you to look towards him, towards the doctors, you see. They don't know anything. You see, it's the covenant. Remember what he told Israel? I'll pour out a blessing on you you cannot receive. Malachi 3.10, right? Test me in this. Remember what it said in Exodus no, it's uh, Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 6, and I think maybe a couple other passages that he told Israel, your feet didn't even sweat. For 40 years you walked around the desert, and not only did your shoes not wear out, your feet didn't even swell. My feet swell sometimes when I, when I don't treat them right, right? But there, because of his superintending power, demonstrating to a stubborn people that he was sufficient for all things, their feet didn't even swell out. He's causing me to stop and recline, you see. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He wants me to recline, to rest. He knows what's best for me. It's the resting place where the flocks lie down by the quiet waters. The quiet waters are refreshing 
They're not stagnant. You see, Isaiah 65.10, I will be a resting place for my people who seek me. It's refreshing. It's Vitality is restored in this quiet place of refreshment that he leads me as he applies the word of God to my circumstances. See, here's the idea. The Lord is escorting David. The Lord is escorting David along with his life. As he goes through his life, his horrible trials in darkness that he cannot see, which we'll see in just a moment, he knows that the Lord is causing him at times to rest and to relax. And the Lord might put you in the hospital if you get stubborn about it, right? That's just experience. That's not Bible. The Lord will do because you're his child. Uh, I don't remember what preacher said it, but he'll move heaven and earth to provide for you, to make sure that you come back to him if you strayed away. The Lord doesn't give up on you. Remember what he says, Israel and in Jeremiah 31 when he was talking about the new covenant and he wanted the people to know whether he was serious about Israel or not. He said if the earth goes away, if the mountains go away, if the stars cease to exist, and I could go on in that passage, then I will forget about Israel. As you can see, beloved, he has not forgotten about Israel. They may not pay a whole lot of attention to him right now, but they're over in that land as today. And one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to step out of the eastern sky according to the scriptures in the Thessalonian books. And Israel will have a place because God said they will have a place. And he's talking about salvation. I'm talking about his government. And some of them, will, many of them will be saved. The Lord is escorting me. Those who are most helpless lie down in safety, according to Isaiah 30. It doesn't matter how awful the people around you are. You can rest. Jeremiah 50 and verse 6 says this, My people have forgotten their resting place. It's loving concern. It's nourishment. Brother, it's what I have been told by the Lord about my wife, right? No one who hates his own body, what? They nourish it, right? That's my job to nourish her. She can tell you I am one impossible fellow. But she can also tell you that I've changed over the 35 years we've been married. Don't ask her about my faults. But she'll tell you I'm not the same man that I was then. Why? Because Jesus Christ gets out his big sandpaper for some of us and he works on us. And he challenges me and changes me and put trials in my life and says, apply the word of God there. That's how he escorts me. You see, that's how he finds the resting place together. Remember in Isaiah eleven six in the millennial kingdom, the wolf and the lamb will lie down in tranquility. This is what God provides for his people today. I came to give life and life abundantly. The tranquility of the soul resides in our all-sufficient Savior. Because he's shepherding me. I can't even possibly want. He makes me to lie down in the resting place of the sheep. He causes me to be by the quiet waters. Verse 3, the providential care of the Lord. We saw the personal care of the Lord. And I don't want you to get the impression, I'm not trying to say to you that, that, that the Lord's going to put his arm around you. or He doesn't speak to you personally, but he speaks to you individually through the Holy Scriptures. You see, there's not many ways to know him. There's one way to know him. 
and that's through the scriptures. The church has turned to, to all kinds of music and all kinds of storytelling sermons, but they've half of them have abandoned the word of God that only is the way that gives us the sustenance to the soul. I cannot want, you see. He restores my soul. You know what that says in Hebrew? It makes my, he makes my liver new. What in the world does that mean? It's a Hebrew idiom, and it means this. He restores my soul back to ideal condition, you see. You see, when you get saved, and I can tell you from that by experience, my soul was all messed up. But I found, instead of seeking relationships with women to satisfy the soul, I found living righteously before the Lord is my greatest joy. <laughs> And then I got Tanya to boot. I got Tanya over here. 35 years she's lived with me, and who knows how she's done it. But I can't talk to you very long about Tanya because I get all emotional. She will never know what she means to me. She will never know that, except maybe in time and eternity. He's escorting me. The Lord is taking my soul and putting it back to ideal condition. The Hebrew word order here is reversed. For emphasis, it's my soul. So he's restoring my soul. Psalm, what is it? Psalm 19, 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The restoring of your soul in whatever situation you have found yourself in is through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, through the Savior, our God, through Jesus Christ. He's totally sufficient if for loss of loved one, for cancer, for dealing with sickness to I have no friends. Jesus Christ is your friend. And he brings you my soul he's concerned about. He restores vitality and vigor and strength. I never thought I'd care about anything again when I lost my oldest son. That oldest son was special to me, and I'll tell you why right quick. His name was Zachary David. That's because my wife wouldn't let me name him Zachariah when he was a baby, right? But I wanted to know, it's a derivative of Zechariah, and it means this, the Lord remembers, or the Lord remembered. And I gave him my middle name, the Lord remembered David. I prayed for Zachariah. I prayed that he would be born. I promised to raise him to the best of my ability in the Lord. I did a lousy job. I admit that. I'm human and frail. I knew nothing about parenting. But I tell you this, it always reminds me, the Lord remembered David Kirby in a place where not one soul cared whether he lived or died. Even my family around me didn't really care. But I did not know that in eternity past, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, he chose me from eternity past that I would receive salvation. Salvation was not your idea. <laughs> it was God's idea. He thought of it before Christ on the cross before anything happened, before the Bible was written, in eternity past, before creation, in the mind of God, you were chosen for salvation. He chose you. Why did he choose you? Because he loves you. Why did he not choose others? That's his business. You see, God chose you in eternity past for salvation. He sealed it, Ephesians chapter 1. You know, Ephesians 3, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 I have to slow down, I get excited. Is one verse in the Greek, and it's separated in its phrases by one refrain that keeps repeating. 
to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. And in between those things, we see what the Father has done for our salvation. We see what the Son has done, the forgiveness, the redemption. We see what the Holy Spirit has done. Here's a down payment that I'm giving you. See, when he says he sealed you in Ephesians chapter 1, that's a down payment. That's an accounting term. I'm putting this down because it's earnest money. I'm coming back. And you, I am going to collect no matter what state you find yourself in. He restores me to ideal condition, you see. Look what it also says. Here is your sanctification experience. Look what he says in verse 3. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. That's too weak. You might say it this way. He drags me down the rut of righteousness for his name's sake. See, David knew what we really know if we're honest. See, in the Baptist world today, we're trying to hide everything. But David knew this. If he left to his own devices, David's going to skew off the path and sin somewhere and do something else, right? But David said, you're dragging me down the ruts of righteousness. It's, it's, it's like when Scripture says in John also, I think 644, don't hold me to it, you'll see it. When he says, no one comes to the Father except those that what? He draws them. The word is too weak there. It has the idea of a desperately hungry or thirsty man looking for food and water. When I came to the Lord, I couldn't even stop coming. Right? I mean, there was things I was, I was trying to do some things I always did. I tried to go down and have a beer one day. And I realized I can't have that beer. I just had to get back to the church as fast as possible. I didn't even want to go to the church because there's people down there. <laughs> but he changed me. He drug me down these paths, you know, and these paths have the idea in the language. You know, David's using all these beautiful Hebrew word pictures, but you know, you've seen those old westerns where the wagons are going down there and they're getting stuck in the mud and they're doing these great big tracks. It's these big tracks that are being, and see, that's what happens. See, the Lord is dragging me or encouraging me, if you want to say it that way, down the paths of righteousness and I can't get out of the path, right? Unless I go to the place he wants me to go. That's the idea. He knows what I will do on my own if I get out of the tracks. He causes me to follow him right behind him. You see, that's what the Bible te teaches. See, once you put your faith in Christ Jesus, you're not getting away. That's what he says at the end of the text, right? Surely good and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Well, you know what he means there? I'm skipping ahead for a moment. He means he's hunting me down. The Lord is going to hunt me down with his love. He's going to hunt me down with the redemption that he's promised me. He's hunting me down with the inheritance that's coming my way. Peter says, hey, you want to, uh, you want to get over your trial? Look to the heavens. Look to your inheritance where you will be with the Lord forever. Look over to Isaiah, Isaiah 35 for a second. Right? It's one of the greatest verses I've ever seen. Isaiah 35 in its first 10. There's only 10 verses. But I'm going to read the last verse to you. It says this, And the ransoms of the Lord will return, and we will come with joyful shouting into Zion. When we go, the Lord sets up his kingdom, we're going to come in, we're going to be rejoicing and shouting, we'll be like David. Look at those fools out there. Rejoicing in the Lord. Well, look at this. With everlasting joy upon their heads. That term gives the idea of how 
powerful the joy is. It's overwhelming you, you see. Look what it says, and they will find gladness and joy. Here's my verse. Here's the second part of the verse. I have to hold my heart every time. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. It will go away. How is the Lord going to do that? How is he going to fix the loss of my son? How is he going to do all of these things? I don't know, but I know this. He's going to do it. And joy will be my life, and joy will be on there. And, and Tanya's going to with me. I know she's a Christian. And there will be joy, and there will be everlasting joy upon our heads. He restores my soul. He guides me down for the path of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, Jesus, you belong to Jesus Christ, and he will conform you to the image of his self, right? God will conform you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's why you're alive. You don't believe it? Go read Romans 8. Romans 8, that great chapter that starts with what? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and ends, what can separate me from Christ Jesus? Can life or death or principalities or things present? Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Don't listen to the world. They don't know anything. They're lost. They're dead. They don't even know they're dead. And even though, let's get to verse 4. I'm almost out of time. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, I told you something earlier about the strongest negative in the Hebrew language. It's only used 197 times out of those 3,300 times in the Hebrew text. You know where the second time it's used? In that verse 4 right there. I, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and let me tell you about what this valley means. In Israel, there was all of these gigantic crevices, right? Like you would go through the hill country in Texas and you'd see those walls of stone. But in, in Israel, there would be these, these walls on each side. And as I went down, the walls would go higher and the lights would go dimmer and I would be in darkness, you see. And though David said, even though this could mean death, but it could just be a dark time, either now or in the future, you see. This dark time that's coming to my life, and even though I'm walking in it, I can't see God, I can't hear God, I don't understand God, even though I'm walking through this valley of the shadow of death, this really it should be translated the valley of deep darkness. That's the best translation for it. And even though I'm walking through this dark valley, there's no way I'm going to have habitual fear. Why? Because you're with me. There's a little thing called construct relationships in Hebrew. You don't have to remember that either. But it says, I shall feel no evil because you are with me. See, the relationship between you, the Lord God, Yahweh, and me in my trial is a tight grammatical relationship. It is a fixed relationship in which... The Holy Spirit is trying to let us know. You may think you're alone in that darkness. You may think you're alone in that loss of love. And you may think you're alone in that trial. But Jesus Christ is always present. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, right? It says, even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, there's no way, absolutely no way, I can live in habitual fear because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What does the commercials want to do all the time? Why do they play pharmaceutical commercials 24 hours a day? They're trying to scare you to death, right? They're trying to scare you to death so they can take more of your money, right? When I went down and bought a new truck recently, they wanted me to have 
a insurance plan for this, a, an extended maintenance plan for that, and all kinds of stuff. I said, I don't want any of that stuff. Why? Because I knew something they didn't know. I knew if it needed to be repaired, Jesus Christ would repair it. He'd pay for it along the way. Why do I know that? Because everything in my life, he's more than provided for me. He gave me Tanya. Tanya over here, she handles my finances. When I, when I handled my finances, I didn't have any money. <laughs> I never had any money. Since she has taken over my finances, I got more. I had a heart thing in 2017. I turned everything over to her. I thought, boy, you sure are stubborn to take that long to turn it over to her. I am. Now I got plenty of money. I got more money to know what to do with. I just I, my truck rolls around full of gas all the time. All the things I need. I groceries just show up at the house and I don't even know where they came from. She's, I think she's ordered them online now. And when we were in the dark valley, I had a friend. Jesus Christ gave me a real tangible friend, and he gave me Tanya. And Tanya has to live with my bullheaded, my craziness, my, my not concerned about what other people think. You know, she has to live with all those things. 35 years later, she's still here. <laughs> she has great character. I don't know what about me, but she has great character. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These were, the rod was an instrument of counting, the counting of the sheep or the gathering of the sheep. It was a thing that uh, the sheep could lean on. They comfort him. It has the idea of emotional stability. Why does the nation not have emotional stability? Because they're not resting in the only one that can give it. It's not going to be no drug. It's going to be the fellowship with Jesus Christ, beloved. The people want you to believe that the Bible, as I said earlier, is a Ouija board, that Jesus Christ was a good man that's a myth. But what he is, is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He's everything, beloved. Man can go into atheism. The nation can fall into homosexuality and atheism. But Jesus Christ is still Lord God. He's still King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They were an implement to count or protect, a stick of protection, if you will. Uh, is, uh, God often chastised Israel because why? They often would make deals with Egypt or somebody like that. And the Bible says in Ezekiel 29, I'll slow down, 29, 6 through whatever, Isaiah 36, 6, that Egypt, and you could take this as you apply it, and the like would break into pieces if you lean on to them. If you lean on somebody else besides Jesus Christ for the needs of your soul, it will shatter you into pieces. It will have no confidence, you see. But oh, if you rest in Jesus Christ. If you rest in Jesus Christ, and I'll wind up right here, right? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I've got to give you one more thing in verse 5 before I move on and finish up. Verse 5 says, In the presence of my enemy... The idea there in the Hebrew word picture is the one that's always hostile to me. The one that's always being hostile to me, the Lord is spreading out this big blanket of feast right in front of them. They're in battle array, but I'm eating a feast. And surely goodness and mercy and loving kindness, which is the same word in Hebrew, will follow me all the days of the life. He will pursue me. He's 
tracking me down with his righteousness and his goodness and his blessings and his joy. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's your future. One last verse. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7. You want to know what your future is going to be like? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7. We all know what Ephesians 2 8 says, right? But we always breeze by 2 8, 2 7. <coughs> Look at verse 6. You learned a little bit about this last week, probably. So that in the ages to come, oh, I'm, I'm, too, I'm ahead. Verse 6. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenlies. That's not mystically, that's not in some weird way. That is forensically, through justification, he raises up. That's my position. Look at verse 7. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward those in Christ Jesus. That's your future, beloved. There ain't going to be any kind of a judgment about past sins, present sins, or any sins you continue to make on this earth. That's all covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. Your future... Your future is in glory with Christ Jesus where he will shower you even more with his loving kindness. Think of the mind that created creation. It's not mother nature, it's creation, you see. And all the different kinds of fish and animals and wildlife and trees, that mind that brought you salvation, that's the same mind that's going to be lavishing loving kindness on you for eternity. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We get lost in it, Lord. We get lost in your word and we see your loving kindness and your goodness and the joy of knowing you. <clears throat> Father, we look in your word and we know that Jesus Christ is sufficient. He's looking for a people that trust him. Father, help us to trust you. Help us to exercise our confidence in Jesus Christ in our lives, in our finances, in our health, in everything, Lord. And we'll give you the praise that you so richly deserve. In his wonderful name, amen. <clears throat>